Amen. You can be seated. Well, last week we looked at, uh, started our series on Acts, and we looked at just how the Holy Spirit moved in that time of when the resurrection happened, when Jesus went and he appeared to the disciples and, and w- took Peter, where we looked at Peter, how he was full of shame and full of guilt because he let, felt like he betrayed Jesus and abandoned Jesus at his finest hour, where he wasn't anywhere to be found when Jesus was being crucified. So Jesus appeared to him and healed that area of shame and guilt in our lives. And many of us have been in a place where we felt shame and guilt, and the Holy Spirit has healed us. Aren't you thankful for healing of the Holy Spirit? We also looked at Thomas, how because he doubted once, he was known as Doubting Thomas, and how Jesus cared so much for Thomas that he gave him that assurance that I'm real, I'm resurrected, and he appeared before Thomas and healed his doubt. So I believe this morning as we go on our next step in the book of Acts, that you're going to find healing in your life, that salvation is healing, looking at how the early church started and the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit. Last week we ended the service with seeing when Pentecost fell upon the apostles in the upper room. Wasn't that encouraging? And didn't it just give, spark something in you where you want to see the Holy Spirit move like that? So real quick, there's a, a short video I want to show you that is going to open up the book of Acts, Acts 2 as we look this morning, and then we'll do some teaching uh, on it. So if you turn your attention to the screens, Tim, let's check out this video. Amen. Acts chapter 2, the day the church was born, the day that the Spirit of God came and filled the believers. You know, uh, one of the most, there's three important times in your life as a believer that you experience. Number one is, is salvation, when the Holy Spirit leads you to a place of repentance. Number two is water baptism, where that is your outward sign, your public confession, that you have entered into a journey and into a relationship with Jesus. And then number three is, is the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And there's evidence of when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You see in 1 Corinthians, uh, where Paul talks about, 1 Corinthians 12, talks about different spiritual gifts. Uh, you, if you're a new believer, you might have heard of tongues. Or if you uh, are a, a believer and you've received the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. And there's different settings of how tongues is used. And so there's, as you get in the Word of God and as you look at Paul, who was a great writer of the New Testament, 
he shares of, of how these gifts of when the infilling of the Holy Spirit happens in your life. And the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's a gift that's given. And, the, and this imparting the Holy Spirit is, is what has been the heart of this church, the heart of, of Pastor Joy stepping out and doing what she's done, is to, to make sure that you know the Holy Spirit is real and that you have that infilling in your life and those gifts that he gives the church and he gives individuals can operate in your life. How many of you are just thankful for the Holy Spirit's operation in your life? I know that was the biggest moment when I experienced my baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was, you've heard me share it before, but I was a young man, or a young boy rather, I'm a young man now, a young boy, and we were in a time of, of just worship, our, our little youth group, we were over in the kindergarten house, and uh, we called it Club 56, come on, fifth and sixth graders, that was our place to be. Miss Jenny, she was our awesome leader at the time. And we would literally just come together in this basement. We would throw the VH, VHS in and we would worship. Um, and I can just remember just that, that group of us and, and Christian was there and Caleb and, and so many other growing up together and Clay. And, and we just began just to cry out and worship God. And the Holy Spirit fell in the, in the little basement of that house. And I received my baptism and it was undeniably, I'm like, wow, Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is real. Whatever I just experienced, I want to find out what it's all about and I, how I can have more of it. There's nothing like getting high on the most high. Amen? It's the best high out there. That's what someone told me once. I'm like, hey, that's good. You don't need drugs. You get high on the most high. It's the best place to be. So uh, we see all throughout the book of, of Acts, last week we looked at uh, how the Great Commission, that when, when Jesus told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem, uh, for the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's where Acts chapter 2 picks up. And we looked at some context of how Luke wrote, wrote Acts and, and gave you a lot of backstory. Now at the time uh, was the Feast of Pentecost, where everyone uh, from all different regions of the area were traveling in, different priests and, and all these church leaders were traveling in to celebrate in Jerusalem. And all, a lot of the Roman Empire was traveling in as well. And at the time, there was a lot of political unrest. There was a lot of religious unrest. The, the atmosphere or the tension in the air, you could cut with a knife at that time. We see what it's like just in America when it's around a political time and everyone's heightened in emotions and all this. So imagine that was going on then. And so everyone's coming together and the disciples, of course, are fearful. And they heard a promise. Last week, we looked at that. Jesus, he gives us uh, a promise, and, and he, before he asks us to do something, before he gives us petition, he always encourages us with that promise. And so the disciples went in this upper room, and they waited for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because before that, Peter was a coward. He was afraid. He was timid. But it was when the Holy Spirit infilled his life when everything changed. That's like you and I, when the Holy Spirit touches our life, and we experience that infilling, our entire life changed. That old man, that old Garrett, dies, and a new person is birthed. And we, be, we step into that process of, of theosis, of becoming in the image of Christ. The early church, everything that they taught was wrapped around this idea of becoming like Christ. And that's what the, the mission and the journey is of you and I are on, is to become like Christ, to put off this old man, to, to, to crucify this flesh. When we come together and gather, we repent and we say, flesh, you're not going to have your way. 
I'm going to walk and talk and live like Jesus. Is that, am I talking to the right crowd? Church this morning, we want to walk and live and talk like Jesus. We want to live a spirit-empowered life. And so the apostles saw and experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit to, to send them on mission, to take, to bear witness to the truth, the truth that Jesus died for. That's how intense this truth was. It wasn't easy to, the apostles just got up after an awesome worship service like we just had and preached, and everyone just was oh, awesome. But there, there was a, a cost to preach the gospel. And as we shared, all the apostles were martyred for the faith. That's how intense it was to get up and preach. And so I want to, I was thinking of how it was an undeniable experience when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you've experienced the baptism, it's undeniable. You don't have to wonder, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? You don't have to ask that question. You know, without the shadow of a doubt, that you've been sealed. And that's an attribute of the Holy Spirit. It seals you. Where you know God's real, you know your, your faith is active when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I was thinking about how the, the apostles had an undeniable experience. And a lot of us, we've had undeniable experiences. One I was thinking of for myself outside of my baptism. I don't know if you can relate with me, but anybody afraid of heights or you were afraid of heights and you, you overcame that fear? Well, we were going on a, I remember we were going on a youth group trip and the youth group went to, to Kings Island. And it's before, you know, uh, they changed all the name of the roller coasters from the Paramount. Wasn't that a bummer when Paramount left and all the names of the roller coasters changed? Uh, if you're a, a thrill roller coaster person, you, you sympathize with me there. But I remember growing up, even before this youth group trip, we would always go as a family, and I was always the one that was afraid of heights. So it was my mom or my aunt, my aunt or all my cousins, these guys just ran at it, but I was the one they were having to pull on to get on the rides. It's like, hey, I'm just going to get some ice cream. You guys do what you want to do. I'm going to hang out. You guys enjoy the thrill. Uh, so fast forward, the youth group trip comes. I think I'm 13 years old, and uh, Jeff, he's our bass player. He came as a chaperone, and I was just kind of hanging out with him, and he started to encourage me. He said, you know, Gary, you can do this, man. Now's the time where you've got to overcome this fear. And if you've ever been around Jeff, he just, get, he just is Mr. Calm, Mr. Cool, Mr. Chill. So when you're around him, you just get a peace when you're around him. Like, all right, Jeff, if you think I can do it, I, I, I think I can try it. And he's like, all right, we're going to go over to the Vortex. And, you know, some of my friends were riding it too. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm trusting Jeff here. And the whole time you're waiting in line, you're just, you know, your nerves are going. You're seeing everyone get on. Someone gets off and throws up. You're like, oh, my gosh, what did I just agree to? <laughs> And so we're waiting in line, and, and we get on, and if you know the vortex, it, you know, it starts off right on a hill, you know, so they just, they start you off good. And so I can remember, we're, I'm sitting by Jeff, and he's still trying to encourage me, and I'm like, I just stop, you know, it's just like, <laughs> this is already hard enough, but he's being good, he's encouraging, and, you know, they, they latch you down, and, and you're clearing out of here, and they send you off, and uh, you just start latching up the the roller coaster, and you hear everything clicking. Jeff's just Mr. Cool. It's, his arms are starting to go off, and I'm just looking over at him. What are you doing? <laughs> so we're edging our way up, and then there's this little drop. You know, before you go down the hill, you just kind of release, and you know, Jeff, Jeff's hands go straight up, and I'm just holding on for dear life. And then about mid-drop, there's just something that hits me. I'm like, wow, this is 
it's kind of it's cool. And the hands go up, and I'm all about it. I'm loving it. And the best part is, I remember when I went and, and saw my picture, it was literally just, you know, one of those crazy faces. You can never give a good pose for a roller coaster picture because it's bad. But after we got off the ride, you know, Jeff just kind of looked at me. He's like, I told you. And it was in that moment that I knew my, my fear of heights was conquered. And I was, I was ready to go. It's like, we're, we're hitting drop zone now. We're going for the big boy. <laughs> and it was an undeniable moment where at that, at that time, the fear of heights was gone. And I think, again, relating that to baptism, there's something about when you have those undeniable moments in your life that give you confidence and give you boldness. And that's what the Holy Spirit desires to do in your life, to give you confidence and to give you boldness in whatever your world is, in your business, in your jobs, raising your kids, knowing that the Holy Spirit is with you because he graces you to do what he's called you to do. And when we start living in that grace and living in that mercy, you don't allow fear to keep you down. And the neat thing is, is Jeff was my encourager. God's put people all around you, sitting next to you, your family to encourage you in those areas of your life. Jeff has, had conquered his fear long, uh, long, long ago. And so he was there to, to walk me through this, this area of my life. And, and the Holy Spirit is so good to put people in your life in the seasons you're in to walk you through those tough times. That's how good he is. And so picking up in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, if you want to turn your, in your Bibles there, you can see the scripture on the screen. I want to read it to you and and just give a little context, it says, and this is when, when Peter, uh, and after the, the Holy Spirit had fell upon them, it says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It said that there was about 120 of these men and women that were gathered in the upper room. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. And so everyone outside the room had heard the sound of thunder, they had seen what the supernatural that just took place. And so everyone was like, what just happened? We heard what was going on in this room. So it's, you know, it, it caused a little curiosity. If you were around, wouldn't it cause a little curiosity in you to go and find out what's going on? So everyone gets curious. And it says, then they all were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? That being said, one of the key elements of Pentecost, of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, is that all these men from different regions and areas who spoke different languages, different accents, they all could understand each other. Think about that. They all could understand each other. And as church uh, tell you is it was a reverse of Babel in that moment. If you go back and you read in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, when man tried to build and get to God out of pride and out of arrogance, God shut that down and put all the different languages that we see in the world today and scattered them all. But when Pentecost came, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the upper room, it was an undoing of that. Where out of humility, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it unites. And that's why you see, as you read in Acts 2, they were all in one accord. One of the key elements of group gatherings like this, or when you want to receive the Holy Spirit, is when you come together and you're in one accord with the Word of God, when you're in unity with the Holy Spirit. And one of the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings or an attribute of it 
is there can be diversity, just like there's so much diversity in here. We all have different stories, different backgrounds. We come from different places. That's a lot of diversity. But look how we're all unified right now under the Word of God and under the Holy Spirit. That's, we're operating in that gift right now, is unity and diversity. It's amazing when you think about it. So it was an undoing of Babel. It was an undoing of confusion where people could once again, the church could once again unite. So this power was unleashed. And we see that, again, one of the key attributes was everyone coming in one accord. Going on, uh, verse 12 says, again, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying, whatever could this mean? And here's the funny part is, all the spectators, all the critics who were kind of, you know, looking at them, it says, you know, they're full of new wine. Or other translators say, they're drunk. They're drunk. And so the leader of the apostles, Peter, steps out, and he says in uh, verse 14, says, Peter raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the only third hour of the day. So in other words, he's saying, look, guys, it's not beer 30. These guys aren't drunk. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. So they had this confusion and this idea that the spectators would say, these guys are crazy. They're just babbling. They're drunk. They sound like they're drunk and they look like they're drunk. And the amazing thing that happens is after Peter confronts this and says that, no, this is the promise of what was spoken in Joel 3, chapter 1. It goes on to say that, uh, that your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's confirming that what, Joel, what the prophet Joel had spoken in the New Testament just became fulfilled. And when Peter connected that prophecy, everyone took a step back and the critics kind of dropped their arms and said, you're right, this just happened. And that's where it went on that Peter preached his first sermon. He literally stepped out of the upper room and everyone, thousands of people gathered around. He preached the Holy Spirit in repentance. That's where it says that 3,000 were saved that day. And the Holy Spirit caught fire and started to move and the church again was born and people became unified and the church started to grow. And again, when you think of the amazing thing of that, Peter was one who was timid, he was full of shame, he was guilty. And look how the transformation took place in his life. And that should encourage all of us that when we yield to the Holy Spirit, push our own man back, embrace the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter what your personality type is, it doesn't matter what you think your spiritual gift is, God can use you. And he can use you in many different ways. It's just not getting up and even speaking. There's an old church father that says, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Your actions, the way you live your life, speaks of Jesus before anything ever comes out of your mouth. Uh, going on and, and looking at Scripture, Acts 4, 29 uh, through 31, there's an amazing story of when Peter and John went out on a missionary journey. And they begin going to all these different towns and, and telling all these different groups of who the Holy Spirit is and how you can receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, Peter and John previously were just arrested and locked up, and so they were just released out of prison. And they go and, and they gather around this town and with this group of people. 
And they are kind of underground when you go back and you read the story in Acts 4. And uh, they come together and, and this is what Peter says. And again, you see before he, he says this, you see that they were all in one accord. So again, we see this common theme of unity when the early church gathered, when they were in one accord, mighty things happened in their midst. And, and here's a side note. We look at the world around us today. America is so uh, disunified. There's so much tension. They need the church to step up and show what true unity looks like, what it really means to walk in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean flexing your spiritual muscle, walking around showing your charismatic gift. You know what a revival is really marked by, and I believe what's coming, is it says in the word that you'll know Christians by their what? By their love. If we really love our brother and sister the way Christ taught, you watch as you see the revival start to birth out of the church. When we get off this idea of, of I got to be seen and I gotta, people got to see what I got, and we just simply live out the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with everything within us, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor, you watch what starts to take place in communities in, our, in, in this church, that there can be such unity and diversity. That's a miracle in itself. And that's something that God is preparing this church for and setting up, and we're all going to be a part of it. And so we see that uh, this group that Peter and John are ministering to are, are gathered together in one accord. And this is a, the prayer that uh, Peter had prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.29 says, Now, Lord, look on, their, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs, and notice this, that stretching out his hand to heal, before you see a physical miracle, you see that Peter was asking, stretch out your hand to heal these people. Because when it comes to to seeing miracles, it's easy to get caught up in the um, amazement of it or the show of that a miracle can happen. But when Jesus did miracles, it was always first to heal them spiritually and then heal them emotionally. And then usually a physical miracle would follow to to show the power of God. So he says that, that they might be healed. And it says, as they were assembled together, the room was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now just think about that. Put yourself in this story. Imagine if you're in that room. I think we all could imagine it as Friday night, a lot of our rooms were shaken by the big thunderstorm that blew through. Imagine just, just the, the power of God showing up. Imagine right now if the power of God showed up and the room, the church began to shake and the spirit of God moved in our midst because we're all in one accord. That's, that was a common thing that, this, that the early church saw. And that's what we desire, is to have such a manifest presence of God. And it, and it comes when we're in unity, when we're working together, when we lay our, our lives low as we repented this morning. And uh, what does scripture say? That we may decrease so he will increase. When we walk through those doors, if we come with a, a, a mindset that we want to decrease, we want to put aside our, our will and we want to pick up what the Holy Spirit's purpose is for our life. You watch as you experience the fullness in your life. And so we see here that when they were, were filled, they began to speak the word with boldness. That boldness, courage, was always a sign when the Holy Spirit came. 
They were always filled with boldness and courage. Now, it says, that, again, that they spoke the word of God, but if you go on to read in the story of Acts 4, you see uh, Barnabas is introduced. And it's pretty neat because Barnabas wasn't one necessarily who went and spoke the word publicly, but you know what he did if you read the end of Acts 4? It says that he owned a lot of land. He was a wealthy man. And he went and he sold uh, his land, liquidated it, and he went and he brought all the, the funds and the money of the, what he sold and he laid it before the feet of the apostles so that they could go out and preach the gospel. Now that was boldness of Barnabas. He ne- it wasn't preaching the word, but with what God had entrusted him, he was bold to trust God to sell his wealth and to give it to the church. And so we saw miraculous things start to happen of how the early church became funded and how different ones, all the different gifts of the body came together to build the early church. And so you see, as you read through the book of Acts, miracle after miracle of how God used these men and women to spread the gospel and to be a witness. You know, when you ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit's main role? Scripture's full of of describing and, and showing us of what the Spirit's main role in our, in our life is. Just a couple points to share with you. You can write these down if you're taking notes. Simply, it's to bring understanding of Jesus' teaching. If you feel something that isn't Jesus, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always bears witness to Jesus because without Jesus, we don't have a Holy Spirit. So that's just a, a quick little side note. Again, it's to glorify God. The Holy Spirit glorifies God. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of individuals and the church. And again, we went over it. It's to bring, he brings unity and diversity. Some scripture that you can write, jot down and look up later. 1 Corinthians 12.3 talks of, it gives us the power to confess Jesus as Lord. When you come and you make a, a confession of Christ, it's the Holy Spirit tugging on those heartstrings or a conviction hitting you that's leading you to respond to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. That's the Holy Spirit at work, even in your confession of faith. 1 Corinthians 12 is full of uh, spiritual gifts. It talks of all the spiritual gifts of how they operate in the church and how they operate in your life. It's always a good read to, to look at those. Uh, Romans 8.26 talks of how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us at, at our deepest levels. That's when you, when you get in your prayer closet and you pray in the Spirit the Holy Spirit's interceding for you. Isn't that amazing that we have an interceder? That when we feel like we're, we've gone to hell and back, we can get away and we can begin to, to get in the word and intercede and, and our faith be built. And we can go before the Lord in prayer when times are tough. Or when you feel that you need direction in your life, you can go and the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. The thing with the gifts of the Spirit that I've experienced and what the apostles teach is they're always received in humility. And when you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it shouldn't bring pride and arrogance into your life, but it should continue to make you more humble because of, of the awesome power that God has put on your life or the infilling that you've experienced. It shouldn't puff you up, but it should make you just desperate for more of Him. And that's what the apostles were as they went from city to city and as persecution uh, surrounded them they became more desperate for uh, 
an infilling of his spirit. Wherever they went, they always leaned in. And that's for you and I, when we have to make decisions in our family or where to put our kids in school or all the decisions that come into our life, do you ask the Holy Spirit, what is your plan for my children? Or what's your plan for this decision of where we're to move? He wants to be involved in your life and in those decision-making processes. And I guarantee it because I've seen it in my life and the, the word speaks of it, is he'll speak to you. You, get, you keep him first, he will lead you, he will guide you, and he will direct you. That's the beauty of the Spirit of God, is he leads us. We just have to submit ourselves underneath his authority. And he'll lead you wherever you go. You know, there's, when I think of our church and, and how it was started, it was started out of, during the time known as the Charismatic Renewal. And when the Charismatic Renewal came, uh, based off all these revivals that happened in the early 1900s, the renewal, this renewal, this charismatic renewal where people saw the manifest presence of God, people were being heal, healed. Uh, places like Oral Roberts or men like Oral Roberts and universities like Oral Roberts universities were birthed. Uh, it's even amazing when you look at uh, the Catholic Church that there was a char- Catholic charismatic renewal where uh, priests and, and nuns were filled with the Holy Spirit and were speaking in tongues. That it was, this renewal was happening all over the place. And really, our church was birthed out of a renewal. When Pastor Joyce and, and a group went to, to, to this conference and was filled with the Holy Spirit and then went back to their church, and the church said, and so they went on a journey and stepped out and trusted the Holy Spirit and through God infilling her and, and getting at hotels and having meetings and people being filled and the beginning stages of the Joyce Robinson Foundation starting and the Gathering Place Church starting. So it's amazing that what we're sitting in today is a result of this renewal, of uh, a, a group of people so passionate about wanting to have the Holy Spirit operating in their lives, which I believe everyone in here wants that Spirit of God in your life because He's real and He seals your life and He changes everything about you. And He's the one you, could go to, you can go to what our, even what our human nature says is when we go through a tough time, we want to run to a person or someone we trust or someone we feel that can help us. God's desire and the Spirit's desire is that we would always go to him first and we would lean into him when, when bad times come. And so it's, it's so amazing, even as we were just talking of how this April we, we celebrate a, a year of transition that we've gone through as a church. And how God has a specific plan for this church. And how as we pray and as we seek God and as we continue to just live life and do the ministry of this church from our school to coming together and believing and, and getting, getting healing and being nourished every Sunday, I believe we're going to see revival start to happen as we return to the obedience of God's word. Because that's what the world needs. And we can be a healing touch to our area we can bring healing to our world. But it all starts with us coming together in one accord. Are we in one accord this morning? Is everyone thankful for the Holy Spirit in your life? I thought this was good, and this came out of a commentary. It says that the Holy Spirit transformed his followers from the inside out and empowered them to draw people into a healing and redemptive relationship with God. That's what he does. He empowers you to draw your family, 
to draw those around you into the healing work of the Holy Spirit. And so before, I want to hit on some points on unity as, as we close. It's a quick video I want, want us to watch, and it just goes through kind of uh, some highlights of what the charismatic renewal is, what your city in is a result of. And so I want you to watch this. Tim, if you got that video ready, and then I want to share some, some points through it. Jesus never met a person he didn't love. He leapt over walls of prejudice, building relationships with estranged tax collectors, outcast lepers, unclean sinners, half-breed Samaritans, and even self-righteous Pharisees. It was a foretaste of Pentecost, the birth of the church, when 3,000 people from 13 nationalities were saved in one day. Soon, non-Jewish Gentiles were engrafted in. People from every race and nation are now part of God's family. Of all the moves of God since Pentecost, church leaders and historians consider the 1904 Welsh Revival and subsequent 1906 Azusa Street Revival the greatest church reviving and culture-transforming awakenings in history. 5% of the population of Wales was converted within a year. Millions more were saved all over the world. A year later, the city of Los Angeles saw a sovereign outpouring of God's Spirit on a street named Azusa. Within days of an earthquake and fire consuming much of San Francisco in 1906, tremors rocked L.A. They served as a catalyst for the fire to fall from heaven, consuming the hearts of believers. Today, 600 million Charismatics and Pentecostals trace their roots back to this revival. God's choices often seem unlikely. In Wales, a 26-year-old coal miner with no formal education spearheaded the Welsh revival. In Los Angeles, California, William Seymour, a one-eyed son of former slaves, led the Azusa Street Revival. With scars on his face from smallpox and wounds on his soul from discrimination, Seymour transcended racial, denominational, and socioeconomic barriers. Throughout the history of the church, relationships have been the centerpiece of Earth's greatest spiritual battles. The devil attacks who God is, love. Broken relationships are, therefore, the breeding ground for division. Lack of unity within God's family has always been the biggest kingdom killer. Initially, in each of these revivals, there was a groundswell of agreement. But in time, jealousy and division would erode this unity. Today, most of the buildings that house the Great Welsh Revival lie empty. Likewise, the Azusa meetings, which began with such a diversity of African Americans, Hispanics, and whites in attendance, within a decade had reverted back to segregated churches. Yet, the prayer of Jesus to his Father in John 17 still cries out to be answered. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God has placed this secret of unity in your city as well. It's called the Body of Christ. Like the mother load gold found near Sacramento 170 years ago, it will cost much to mine kingdom relationships. But if we are willing to love like Jesus loved, we can see breaches healed, communities united, and bridges of healing and hope built across every relational divide. If there were a move of God in your city, what responsibility would you have? What relationships would God the Father want you to heal and restore? I thought that was a good question. If there was a move of God in Florence, Kentucky, what responsibility would we have? Just not my job. I need everyone's help. We're all in this together to introduce people to the Holy Spirit, to introduce the world to the healing touch of who Jesus is. 
You know, it's amazing at our school, Zion Christian Academy, every morning, they, every classroom starts off with doing the Pledge of Allegiance and having a time of prayer, that these students are being trained to have Jesus in their life, to know the Holy Spirit. The same is with us. As we come together, we're being trained to be led into to full communion with who Christ is, that we're not satisfied with superficial Christianity or superficial relationships. You know, like he said, one of the biggest kingdom killers to a move of God is disunity. Is disunity. When a church can get disunified, that's where relationships get hurt, offense come in, people get bitter. But if we can be unified, there's no stopping what can happen at Gathering Place Church. And God has blessed this church with diversity. He's blessed it with such loving people. You know, I've grown up here and, and everything that I get to be a part of, when I walk in the doors, I feel loved. Everyone feels loved when they walk in this church. This church, I can boldly say, is marked by the love of God. That we love each other, we look out for each other. Because we've made a decision, we've been intentional to step past superficial. We just don't tolerate each other. We actually want to get to know each other. We actually care about what's go- how someone's week is. Where we just don't come, we lift our hands, worship, get the word, and we leave. But we want to we be real with each other. That's how the early church was. You, you go on and you read in Acts 2, it said that they gathered together, they broke bread, and they got to know each other. It even says, which is amazing because it sounds like a utopian society, that they sold everything they had, and if somebody needed something, it said, hey, go to the pile and just get what you need. And the idea behind that is, is that Christian community, we look out for each other. We have each other's back. That we don't allow the bait of Satan, which is offense, to come and tear us apart. And so my prayer this morning is that a new birth of unity, a fresh outpouring, would begin to start in our church. That we would begin to love the world, those outside the church, the way Jesus did. That we would bring them in and say, there's healing at the altar. We have to see Christianity with urgency. It's not a country club, it's a hospital. And when you see it as a hospital, we have to pull people in because time is short. Yes, Jesus is coming again, but people are dying and going to hell. And when you, that's something before I walk up, there's an urgency that just begins to, the Holy Spirit puts within me. That there's people that are dying and going to hell. And it's our job to pull them in and allow them to be healed. God has given this church a healing ministry. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that if you need healing, you can come and you can receive that in your life. That's what the church is. We're a hospital for the broken and for the hurting. So I want you to stand this morning. And as we unify together, I want us just to take a moment. And if you need the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, I just want you during this worship song, if you just close your eyes and you just open your heart and, and tell the Holy Spirit, I want you in my life. I want your presence in my life. I want to know you're real. I want you to seal me. I want you to mark me. Just as your stomachs are rumbling for food right now, allow them to rumble for the Holy Spirit. When you hunger for God, He always satisfies you. So if you bow your head and close your eyes with me, I want to pray. 
Father, we thank you that you move mountains in our life. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the unity that's here. God, I pray that we tap in to a whole new place of unity in this church. I pray that you would bring kingdom connections together where you would connect us on a new level. You would unite us on a new level. And God, that we would be known as a church, as a people that loved you and that loved our neighbor. God, we want your manifest presence here that heals us spiritually, heals us emotionally, and heals us physically. So I pray for anyone that has any kind of pain in their body. I pray for anyone who has hurt in their heart, who has a past that they haven't gotten over. When you come and you infill us, Father, you heal all areas of our life and you invite us in to the process of healing. So right now, we look to you, Holy Spirit. We say that you would come. God, as we gather together in one accord, I pray just a passion would be birthed in our church, that an urgency would be birthed. God, that if a revival started in this church, what responsibility would I have? Whether it's to pray or to to help with uh, a gift of the Spirit is administration. Whatever the gift of the Spirit is, God, I pray that you would reveal those in this house. Father, we thank you that you can do it again. Right now, as we look to you, I pray that you would encourage our faith. Holy Spirit, you would touch us the way you did the early church, the way you did the apostles. So, Father, as we worship you, I pray that you would come and that you would touch our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus.